My goodness, that was good. Woo. She is a woman of many talents. And we are so thankful for Miss Lynn. And we're thankful for all of these folks who are so diligent in their craft and the gifts. All of this is God-given. And so we're so thankful when people, um, when, they, when they use their talents for the glory of Jesus. Open your Bible to Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 6. Uh, we're, going to be, we're going to be looking this morning at the birth of Christ and, and what that means for us. What it means for us that, that, that it says kids worship, that's not happening today, so you just stay seated. Um, we're going to uh, just hang out as a family this morning. Um, Isaiah chapter 6, and, and I promise you, parents, I promise, you will be in the car, you will have the opportunity to be in the car <laughs> by 11 o'clock, so buckle up, all right? Isaiah chapter 9, so, so put yourself in an Old Testament perspective, and, and they were longing for the coming of the Messiah, they're longing for this person of Jesus, they're longing for redemption, they, they realize that they're in a broken world because of sin, and, and they probably had a better perspective of sin than we do, because we often think God has changed his mind about sin, and yet he, he has not, he's still, he's still against sin, he still hates sin, he still punishes sin, but we'll, that's a sermon for another series and so they're, they're longing for Jesus. They're longing for the Messiah. And then we get to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And the prophet Isaiah records these words. He says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest upon his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or the peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness. For them on forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So we, we hear that, that God has promised us the, the coming of a, a Savior, the coming of Jesus. Can I tell you today that it was God's plan that Jesus would come and redeem you? It was God's plan that, that from the very beginning, Jesus was coming. Even back in Genesis, when God created the world in, seven, in six days and on seventh, He rested. When God created the world and He looked at it and He said, it's good, he still knew Jesus was going to have to come. He knew that that goodness was going to be temporary and that Jesus' blood was going to have to be shed. God knew all things even in the beginning. God knew all things even in the beginning. He knew that Christ was going to go to a cross. So he looks across heaven at his son, Jesus, and he sees that he will be slain for the sins of the world. But the sins hadn't even been committed yet. Adam and Eve still haven't fallen, and yet God looks upon his son as slain. Jesus was promised. Jesus was promised in Isaiah. He tells us that there's coming a child. He's going to be a male boy. He's coming, and he's going to redeem you. Isn't it ironic that the same God who created the world in six days is the same God who would have to wrap himself in flesh and come die for the very people that he created. 
Ain't nobody else offering that. No other religion sector on the world is declaring that. Nobody's saying that. That the very God who spoke life into existence is the very God who would give up his breath to redeem them. What we come to realize through this passage is that it was always the plan. That that Christ Jesus was always the plan. God knew we were going to fail. God created Adam and Eve and he looked across and he said, it's good, but he knew it was temporary. He knew that this goodness was going to be short-lived because God had God has foreknowledge. He knows what you're doing today. He knew all things. So he knew that, that man would fail. He knew man would fall. He knew life would be changed. He knew Adam and Eve would be kicked out of the garden. He knew from that moment on it would be an eternal It would be eternal struggle between good and evil, between righteousness and unrighteousness. He knew that this was coming. So Christ was always the plan. Jesus was always the sacrifice. God didn't take inventory and glory one day and say, say, who could I send? What, What would work down there? What's the level? Jesus was always, always the sacrifice. He was always going to be what would redeem us. He was always going to be what would set us free. So when we come to this Christmas holiday season, he's not just a boy in a manger. He's not just some kid in Bethlehem. He was the sacrifice. He was the propitiation for our sin. We would be set free because of him. We're talking about Jesus, and y'all over here looking like y'all licking on lemons. He was your sacrifice. He was your redeemer. He was the one who had set you free. He was the plan. He was the sacrifice. And it was his duty to bear the weight of sin. It was Jesus' duty to bear your weight of sin. It was by the cross. He, he knew even in Isaiah when he was promised, God knew that he would be the one who would carry the weight of sin. And when you keep reading in Isaiah, you're going to get to Isaiah 50 and 55. And it's going to say that it was the will of the Lord to crush him. The same prophet who said he's coming saw that he would go to a cross. And it would be for you and for me. The same prophet who saw him in a, a manger saw him dying on a cross for the remission of sin. It was his duty to die. Jesus was born in a crib in Bethlehem, but his duty was in a cross in Jerusalem. That whole lifespan was for you and was for me. So when we come to a Christmas season, church, I don't, I don't care what you unwrap under the tree today, tomorrow, or, or whenever. You'll never unwrap anything more worthy than Jesus. You'll never unwrap anything more worthy than Jesus. And our culture wants to hide this. Our culture wants to, to make this, make this a, a war on Christmas and a war on religion. And what we're about, it, the Bible tells us in the end days, people will turn their ears People will turn their ears, they will turn their itching ears to things they long to hear. No one wants to hear they're a sinner. If if we can marginalize Christianity, if we can marginalize the gospel, then we can live however we want without judgment. The problem is you're not going to marginalize God. I'll say that to this side. (laughs) You're not going to marginalize God ever. He is the Alpha and the Omega. 
He is the beginning and the end. With his words, he spoke you into existence. And with his word, he will cast people into a devil's hell. He is the most powerful thing you've ever experienced. And yet the most gentle thing you've ever experienced. With one word, he can wipe you away from this world because you're a sinner. And yet with his will, he sent forth his son to be born of a woman, to be born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoptions as sons and daughters of the most high God. The very same God who could have destroyed us because we were sinners wrapped on flesh to come redeem us so that we could be called his children. Nobody else offering that. But it was his duty to live the life we couldn't live and die the death we should have. He came as it was foretold. I love scripture so much. This is so interesting to me. The odds of Jesus being born, the odds of of all of the prophecies of the Old Testament being wrapped into one person are astronomically high. You can't, you wouldn't bet that, you wouldn't take that bet. The odds in Jesus coming are billions to one. Nobody could do what Jesus did. So we look at the prophecies. He was born of the promise. We read that in Isaiah 9, that we knew he was coming. We knew God was at work. We knew there was coming a Messiah, a deliverer. He would be wonderful. He would be mighty. He would be eternal. He would be the prince of peace and of his authority. There would be no end. We knew of the promise. But then God started working things out. And as the dominoes fell oh so perfectly, we get the full picture of the birth narrative. He was born at the right location. I don't know if you've ever been to Bethlehem. It's not very big. Even present day, it's not very very big, not a whole lot there. The odds of Jesus being born in this little town, oh little town. There's a reason we sing it like that. We don't sing it, oh metropolitan of Bethlehem. The small town of Bethlehem is where Jesus would would come forth. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. It was prophesied in in Micah 5 that that Christ would be born in the providence of Bethlehem. So in this, which is so, so great because where was Jesus from? Nazareth. God moved Mary to Bethlehem for his birth. Was it it supposed to be there? He didn't know he was going to be born there, but yet God did because God had prophesied it to be. He had told, told Micah that this was coming to pass. He was born in the right location. He was born of a virgin. He was born of a virgin. This was promised in Luke 1, Matthew 2. This is promised in the scripture that, that Christ would be born of a virgin. It would not be a natural act that a, that a typical child would be born. This was going to be special. This was going to be divine. This was going to be holy. This was going to be wrapped in the gloriousness of God's plan. He would be born of a virgin, meaning meaning he would not have a heavenly, he would not have an earthly father. He would have a heavenly father. And he would live a life for you. And he would live a life for me. And he would die death for you. And he would die death for me. He was born of a virgin. This is so important because it's the sin of the man that's passed down to the child. It's the sin of the man. So when you were born, you were born with a sin problem. You naturally had that. You didn't have to be taught to sin. And parents, you'll, you'll, you'll be with me here. Like at what point, parents, did you teach your children to lie? Anybody taught you taught your kids to lie? How many of you taught your children the word mine? Uh, we, we've got the mind right now. 
We've got the mind. Mine. No, chief, it ain't yours. It's mine. My house. My remote. My TV. It's like, Mickey, Mickey, Mickey. He, he's born with a sin nature. He's born with a sin nature. He's born to be selfish, and he's born that way. I didn't, I didn't teach him that. I didn't teach him to, to grab the remote and declare it his. I didn't, teach him, I didn't teach him that. He picked that up all on his own, or daycare. <laughs> so my son has been warped by y'all's heathens, all right? Get it right. <laughs> we didn't have to learn how to sin. Our parents didn't sit us down as teenagers and be like, let me show you this trick. No, we picked up all that naturally and easy. We had to, Jesus was born of a virgin from the Holy Spirit that he would not carry the sin nature that you and I carry. He would not carry that. Now, he could still be tempted, and he was, well beyond what we could experience. Because let me tell you, if Satan offers us the world, which he never could deliver on, that's a sermon for a different time. <laughs> Most of us would say, okay. We're so driven by our need to conquer and to have and possess that most of us would have bought that hook, line, and sinker, and yet Jesus withstood because he was perfect. I want you to notice the fourth one, that he was born Savior. He was born Savior. There wasn't a test for Jesus where he had to qualify for saviorship. There was never a point when the Sanhedrin got together and say, we're going to appoint Jesus Savior, and he's going to do this for us. It wasn't a Baptist church where we formed a committee or a committee on committees. It was a, it was a part where, where God himself looked upon Jesus and said, he's going to be the Savior of the world. I've sent him to be your Savior. I've sent him to be your Redeemer. I've sent him to be your big word, propitiation, that, that he will satisfy my wrath against your sin. Number three, Jesus brought you the greatest gift you've ever unwrapped. Jesus brought you the greatest gift you've ever unwrapped. And I'm going to be careful here because you're not going to like what I'm supposed to say. This morning, the greatest gift Jesus brought you was not church membership or potluck dinners or Alabama football or Auburn football, turkey dinners, ham, steak, put food there. He didn't bring you your job. The greatest gift wasn't your spouse or your children. The greatest gift God's ever given to you was in the person of Jesus and in the act of salvation. Not in anything else. Not in anything else. Are, are the other stuff good? Is the church good? Yes, I love you. I love when we worship together here. I love that when we come together, we make much of Jesus and we celebrate his wonderful name. And it's so good. It's a gift from the Lord. But it's not the greatest gift. I love the, the joys that God has brought me. I love the hobbies that I get to partake of. All of those are blessings from the Lord. I love my wife to no end. I, I will leave you as a church for, for her any day of the week. I, I, I love my wife. I uphold her more than I do anything else on this earth because God has given her to me. But she's not the greatest gift. 
I got a little boy right now tearing apart the nursery. You're going to see the nursery workers in a little bit, and they're going to be like, get him. Love him to death. I will die for that little boy. He's not the greatest gift. The greatest gift, albeit a little boy, was born in the town of Bethlehem, of the seed of David. And he would grow up just like you, just like me, being tempted and tried, being despised and rejected. He would carry the weight of the sin of the world and he would be nailed to a cross that he never should have been on. And when he screamed from the cross, it is finished. He paid for the weight of your sin. He paid for the weight of my sin. That now when we come to Christmas Eve in 2017, we don't come here today with hopelessness or helplessness, but we come here today embracing Jesus as Lord. We declare that this season is His and no one else's. We declare that, that today em, em, embarks a journey for us. Most of us are off today, um, except for you know, church staff. Um, most of us are off, and, and you're going to start family Christmas stuff. Maybe you've already started. But we're going to make this season about Jesus and Him alone. Because He alone is good. Think about the stuff you've unwrapped before. Think about the stuff you've unwrapped. If you can remember what you got for Christmas last year, where is it and do you still use it? What about the year before that? Some of you are like, ooh, ooh, two years ago Christmas, pajamas and house shoes, right? The year before that. What about on your 10th birthday that Christmas? For some of you, that was a long time ago. <laughs> You're welcome. You've unwrapped a lot of stuff that brought joy for a moment. Church, if we'd unwrap Jesus, he would bring joy for an eternity. If we'd unwrap Jesus, he would bring grace that we would never outrun. If we would unwrap Jesus and make him Lord of our lives. I'm not talking about Lord of your day. Jesus didn't come to be Lord of your Sunday. Jesus didn't come to be Lord of your Christmas season or your Easter season. Jesus came to be Lord of your life. Every day. Every day we dedicate our lives to Jesus for his glory, not our own. Today, are you right with Jesus? I'm not asking you today. Have you made a religious decision before? I'm not asking you today, have you been baptized? I'm not asking you today, have you filled out a visitor's card or even a membership card? I'm asking you today, is the same Jesus who was born in the little town of Bethlehem to, to a, a mother and a kingdom father, is he Lord of your life? Is he controlling you? Or have you given him the lordship of your life? Have you, have you laid down the ownership of who you are at the feet of the cross and you say, Lord, I'm here, use me. If you've never done that, if you've never declared him Lord of your life, he's not made Lord of your life. He's never asked you to, to be good. He's never asked you to get your life together. He's asked you to give your life to him because he will make you good. He will, because of the power of the Holy Spirit, He will start laying things in life that your life will be better, but it may not be the better you're looking for. 
but he's good and he's worthy to be followed. God's plan for your salvation was Jesus from beginning to end. Do you know him today, church? Let's pray. Father, I beg you on behalf of our church that your Holy Spirit would have the freedom in this place to move about. Lord, we know that your design for us is salvation, that your, your will for our lives is salvation. We know that the greatest thing you've done for us was dying on a, on a sinner's cross that we might be redeemed and set free. So Lord, we ask under the authority of the Holy Spirit that you would move up and down every hour today. If there's hardened hearts of people who have never been transformed by Jesus, that, that Lord, today you would move and you would take ownership of their hearts, that they would open up. We know that Revelation tells us that you stand at the door and you are knocking. You're knocking on hearts begging to come in, but we, we thank you that you're a gentleman. You're not going to force your way in. So if there's someone here today who has never trusted you as Savior, Father, I pray, I beg that you'll move into their heart. To those who need to join our church, if there are those who need to repent of sin, if there's those who need to surrender to ministry, Lord, I pray that this invitation will be all about you and the work and the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask it all in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Will you stand and sing with us?